This podcast is brought to you by Red Bull. They didn't pay us. We just love it. Oh, I'm getting money. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, welcome to the second episode of Logic and Absurdity. It's a podcast about some serious things, um, but uh, we're going to be just keeping it loose, uh, like my butthole, um, because I have a serious hemorrhoid issue. Um, I've seen it. All right, awesome. And my doctor, my doctor who said, don't come back. <laughs> I went to see a specialist. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what they're called. I just call him a hemorrhoid doctor. And he looked at it and he's like, don't come back. And I felt really insulted and triggered. But anyways, today this podcast is about a serious but cool topic. Um, something probably you can relate to because you have emotions. Uh, fucking emotions, man. Real pain in my butthole. The loose one. The loose one. Um, so why this podcast? What happened? The genesis of this topic was I was having some emotional issues a couple years ago. Like, I just could not control my emotions. Wait, a couple of years ago? What about yesterday? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> All right, I'm weaning off of Wellbutrin, and I'm still having emotional issues. Oh but normally, God. I've gotten a lot better. And I started thinking to myself, I was like, how the fuck do I manage these emotions? They're out of fucking control. And um, so I started Googling and trying to just learn because I couldn't even answer to myself. I was like, what is an emotion? I was like, yeah, I, I can tell you what anger is. Like, it's like when a person gets angry. Mm -hmm. It's like when a person yells. But, you know, you, you can't use a definition in the definition and like the deeper that I started searching, um, I started realizing that not only did I not really know what an emotion was like on a physiological level, but I also started finding out that even like professionals, even a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists and scientists can't even agree on a definition of emotion. So I started doing some research and I found this book called How Emotions Are Made by Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett. And she's one of the leading neuroscientists in the world, one of the top cited neuroscientists, um, mm -hmm. especially in this field. And she just fucking took my brain for a ride. <laughs> and um, emotion. And I started to just be like, oh, my God. Like, not only did I not know what a f the fucking emotion was, but um, my whole reality kind of shifted a little bit. Um, so I guess I'll open up with the big revelation of the book, which is that most of the time we think of emotions as being like triggered, like emotions are stored in the brain and you do something and it releases my anger and I'm mm -hmm. triggered. You know, you hear mm -hmm. that word a lot in society, but actually um, all the emotions are constructed on moment, a moment by moment basis. And uh, we create the emotions based on our, our concepting. And I would say the big, the big revelation that I have through the book is that 
she categorizes physical reality and social reality. Mm-hmm. And I think the big misconception that I had and that is kind of a common consensus um, is that emotions are physical reality. And uh, this neuroscientist, she looked at about 22,000 test subjects for meta-analysis, which are a bunch of studies that are kind of um, consolidated. And she looked at fMRI, functional magnetic resonating something. Imagery. (laughs) Imagery. And you can basically look at the flow of electrons in the brain and you can see where thoughts are flowing because they're all electrical activity. Mm -hmm. And they could not find one consistent fingerprint of an emotion such as anger. Mm -hmm. Now, what this means, um, and I'm just laying some track here up top. We'll slow down. Um, ah, Sorry. What this means is that, for example, I might ask you, like, what's anger? And you might say, well, you know, you could describe it pretty easily in social reality. Yeah, y- your your temperature goes up, your heart yeah. rate increases. Yeah. Um, you're probably yelling. You know, yeah. your your face probably. Okay, but changes. what? Okay, right. Right. Great, like great. you you want to identify some of like the physical sensations. But what the happening. fuck is anger <laughs> in physical reality? So she. Um, it's interesting too. I I'll save this for another episode. But the philosopher Immanuel Kant, who um, is just a beast of a philosopher, he really describes this partition between physical reality and social reality. So, for example, um, America is social reality. The land that I'm on right now is physical reality. So that's the, a good way of yeah. breaking it up. So in social reality, very easy to describe anger. But in physical reality, what is anger? Mm-hmm. You know, you could start to say, well, it's increase of your heart rate. It's um, increase of your breathing. It's uh, increase of adrenaline and cortisol. But that happens with other instances, exactly. too. It's not specific to anger. You know, that exactly. happens when you're excited. That happens when you go for yeah. a run, you know, like. So that's the crazy thing about these like 22,000 MRIs looking at people's brains is that they couldn't find a single definition or thumbprint of anger or fear or um, all of like, let's say the basic eight emotions, the big eight, you know, Mm -hmm. um, fear, anger, uh, happiness, joy, shock disgust Mm -hmm. surprise is even an an emotion Mm -hmm. as they categorize it but there are like thirty six thousand emotions according to paul ekman who is like one of the leading facial recognition emotion pioneers um you can google him um but so the thing is is that because there's not a definition Two people, so variation is the norm. So what that means is that one person might get angry by withdrawing and their heart rate doesn't go up and their adrenaline doesn't go up. And another person, that might be the same physical reality for them 
for fear. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So many people produce anger in very different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, So we can accept that emotions are a social reality. I think with all of this that's ground that you've the big revelation that's the big revelation now not to say that anger doesn't exist it absolutely exists the same way that america exists Mm -hmm. or the dollar or the ego or bitcoin Mm -hmm. you know um it's because we've all agreed on what what it is that that can look like and how it is that we're affected by it and Mm -hmm. um and there is something that we can categorize as anger. You just can't point to one spot in the, in brain, the brain and be like, that's it. That's anger right there. You know, um, so many neurons in the brain actually hold five or six different purposes. Um, there's not one spot in the brain that's dedicated to anger. And that's because anger isn't quite the physical reality that we thought it was what's your obsession with anger (laughs) (laughs) all the emotions i'm wondering um well (laughs) if in case you listen to the first episode i am uh the ultimate victim i perpetuate a victim mindset according to my therapist and um you know i think people that harness anger um tend to feel like they're a victim and so i i try to work to get out of that mindset and we're all really proud of you. Uh, find gratitude. What what but emotion do you think I'm obsessed with? Fear. <laughs> <laughs> you love to catastrophize. Um, and where hey, the hell did I learn that from? <laughs> from uh, your your parent, your mother. Yep. Um, yep. In fact, most of our most of the way that we categorize and respond to our conceptual systems that create our emotions. Um, or learn subconsciously when we're seven or eight years old from our parents and proven social reality. Because mm-hmm. you weren't you you weren't born with this obsession of anger or this reactivity yeah. or and I'm not really obsessed a- with anger by the way. <laughs> yes, I'm, yes. I'm trying not to be. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's all jokes. But um, I I think that just yeah it, it proves that w- w- as you're growing up and as you're a child yeah. whatever you're seeing from your parents or your friends or on TV these expressions and are yeah slapped into your face <laughs> into your brain and um I I think it it just makes it more obvious and I think what's interesting is what do we do with that you know because when we were first talking about this the biggest thing that kind of changed my perception on emotions was um you know when you're in an interaction with a person and you're like you're making me feel happy or you're making me feel angry and you're producing this thing unleashing this thing inside of me um and you kind of started telling me that that's not exactly what's happening Mm -hmm. so i i kind of want to talk about that more okay sure um (laughs) sorry some fucking asshole over here has his He's driving his muscle truck around. And you can't focus because you're so angry right now. Uh, yeah, I get very angry. Um, <laughs> if you, you were... <laughs> no, I just thought... I thought if you were a cartoon, what cartoon would you be? Um, I don't know. I, I like Daffy Duck. <laughs> um, can you please rephrase what you just said? Um, I think it's what I... 
the concept that I really uh, like about this is uh, that I think a lot of people can relate to is um, a lot of times are really our emotions when they get really intense are either yeah. between two people, uh, a circumstance where, you know, you made me feel happy and, yeah. or like, um, you, you released anger from me or like, you know, excitement or whatever. And we think that it like, you know, it comes out of us and, right, and, right. um, you made me angry. Yeah. Yeah. When in reality I constructed the anger mm-hmm. and, and that it wasn't yeah. like, it wasn't like in you and you, projected it out onto me or that it was in me and you unleash the beast yeah. but that what what was interesting that you shared with me is that it was circumstantial it was because i have a i have a categorization of these experiences from past memories mm-hmm. that are now these heuristics in my brain that tell me that this is a moment where I can unleash my happiness or unleash my anger, but it's not, it's not inherently stored in my body. It's because I have memories of these experiences that are contextualizing these emotions, that you know, makes me think of an amazing quote, um, by this Nobel laureate, Gerald Edelman. Um, I don't really care about his name, <laughs> but, uh, he said, our experiences are the remembered present. Mm, and I, I, I'm going to have to rethink about that a couple times, but that makes me think about what you said just now, because how we react and conceptualize and create our emotions in the present really are, is responsible from the past 10 years of how we categorize and organized our experiences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, like for example, uh, something bad might happen to me and I can categorize it as, wow, this is a really empowering time in my life where I learned and grew. Or I can say, fuck, that was the worst thing that ever happened. And depending on the way I categorize it, that's now compounded into a part of my identity maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like, oh, shit, I, you know, I hear people throwing around the word trauma all mm-hmm. the time. Oh, that, that was trauma. I, trauma. It's like, it's your choice how you categorize it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's part of that survival. You know, that's part yeah. of their social reality. So if I'm in that situation again, I chose to categorize that as trauma or, you know, it, it felt bigger than me and that's that's what it needs to be. And so when I encounter that again, I know how to survive from that situation because it, I was in such a high arousal state negative yeah. that that I don't want to be in that place again. So when I see signs of it, I, I, I can run from it or fight it or whatever it is, um, you know, so it's a tool. That makes me what you just said makes me think of the four quadrants of physical reality that. Um, not only scientists, but also psychiatrists and neuroscientists can agree on. So we've kind of acknowledged that emotions, the way we currently understand them, are mostly social reality. What the professionals do acknowledge, they use uh, a more clinical word called affect, which is basically affect is positive or negative um, sensory input. You know, if I give you a massage, that's positive affect. If I slap you in the face, that's negative affect, uh, <laughs> which I would never do. Never. Um, you know, unless she leaves something on the f- 
nothing. Uh, <laughs> um, this guy. Uh, but so the four quadrants of physical reality are high arousal, low arousal, positive and negative affect. So maybe my anger is high arousal, negative, mm -hmm. you know, but maybe another person that's fear for them. Mm -hmm. fear for them is high arousal negative you know if i'm doing cocaine that's high arousal positive mm -hmm. you know if i'm sipping lemonade on a porch watching um, my grandfather work in the field um, <laughs> that's positive affect uh low arousal you know mm -hmm. like when you're relaxing mm -hmm. so there's high low positive and negative aside from that there are obviously neurotransmitters, serotonin, mood-related, dopamine, reward-related, motivation-related, and um, there's another one that I won't bog you down with. But yeah. But and and cortisol is the stress one, and then adrenaline is fight or flight. Right, and I think it's this the awareness of the fact that, okay, our emotions are in a social reality. We don't have to worry about them being in a physical reality. Yeah. We can contextualize them. Um, we can use this stored memory for information in the future and to know that there's these four quadrants. It's either high positive, low positive, high negative, mm -hmm. or, you know, low negative. That way we can kind of yeah. just categorize things. How else, if you were to have kind of a big takeaway, how can we use this information um, moving forward? Like, what's the benefit of this knowledge? Um, for me, I think there are times where I've been in situations and let's say I'm feeling depressed. So, um, in this book, maybe, so depression could be, it's a state of, um, unpleasant discomfort, unpleasant arousal. Mm -hmm. Um, and it can be, if it's high arousal, that's anxiety. We might categorize that as anxiety. Mm -hmm. If it's negative low arousal, we might categorize that as I'm feeling depressed. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when I go, oh man, I feel so depressed right now. Yeah. Oftentimes I'm in a state of um, low arousal, negative affect, you know, or, or discomfort. discomfort. So, um, so I say, I kind of say to myself, all right, well, let's try to get back to the center of this X, Y axis, you know, like, let's try to get back to neutral. Mm -hmm. Like, what can I do to get myself into a slightly higher state of arousal and move towards a more positive affect? So would you say that having this like this picture of this quadrant and kind of like a lot of this um more scientific information, does it kind of pull you out of yourself a little bit so that you're not you know, like, I'm absolutely. Joe and I'm a depressed person and I have been, you know, uh, taken advantage of by the world yeah. and all this, like it kind of pulls you out a little bit and you're like, there, there's reasons why all this social context and all this scientific information, this quadrant that I can like kind of place myself, it pulls you out to kind of depersonalize a little bit and, and get you to think about the situation more objectively. Absolutely. And I would even call that mindfulness a little bit. Oh yeah. I, I know that gets mindfulness gets thrown a lot around by all these uh, health magazines that you see. And I don't think they know what the fuck mindfulness is. <laughs> 
Um, mindfulness is non-judgmental awareness in the present moment. Um, now, the really great thing about the revelation that emotions are mostly social reality. You know, there are underlying neurotransmitters um, and there is physical uh, positive or negative affect. But for example, s a lot of times I'll just stop myself when I'm having a really bad day and I'll go, all right, is this problem? Do I have a problem in physical reality or in social reality? You know, and whether it's a conflict with a random person or it's like oh my god people are gonna think i'm <laughs> you're smirking i'm smirking because i'm trying to think about the last time you might have been in this situation when did you tell yourself that when was the last time you were able to stop yourself in your tracks because i know that we've had like a couple of rough days you know that like we don't need to share our personal wanna, life too much but i'm just wondering when was the last time uh i was in a, i was in austin and i think i I kept having like some small conflicts with some other comics that were uh -huh. um, kind of like overstepping their boundaries yeah. and, and being like a little bit rude. Yeah. And I think that I didn't speak up because I was just like, I don't want to deal with them. Okay. But then I was worried later that, oh, my God, they're going to judge me and they're going to whisper about me to other comedians uh -huh. and to the community. And, you know, I kind of had to stop myself and be like all right is this a problem in physical reality uh -huh. or social reality and giving that getting outside of myself and also incorporating the mindfulness aspect it's about observing the thought mm -hmm. and not recognizing that you are not your thoughts mm. so how did that how did you end up using that and handling that situation so in in those situations um, you know, I look at life through, you know, and you're a photographer, so I look at life through the lens. So I say to myself, all right, I'm looking at this with a wide angle macro lens. And talk about that specific situation. I think because it's, it's interesting to dice because yeah. every circumstance is like kind of unique. That's how we yeah. can kind of. Well, I had been waiting at this. I'd been getting bumped all week in Austin like waiting an hour or two hours and getting bumped by local comics because I'm from New York City and they don't know me as well. But I've, I'd really been waiting and putting in my time to perform and I, I deserved to go up. I showed up early to this um, place to perform and people were trying to bump me. Uh -huh. And I kind of just was uh, fed up and so I was a little assertive and uh -huh. and people don't they didn't know they didn't put themselves in my shoes mm -hmm. and see what I went through mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so they didn't understand why I was being so assertive mm -hmm. um, but then later I was worried that oh god now they're gonna think I'm a I'm a jerk and mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. is gonna affect the social standing and the relationships you know you don't want to mm -hmm. piss you don't want to burn bridges of course not in your, yeah. in your network but but you had this awareness, you 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 know social reality and and you use these tools. So how did you get out of that? Well that negative for me, like the pra the practical tool that I like to use is this like metaphor of switching out my wide angle macro lens. Uh-huh. 
because sometimes it's necessary to to put that lens on in mm-hmm. life, I think, mm-hmm. and to put on a long distance telephoto lens, mm-hmm. you know, and then see the situation, look at my life from 10,000 feet ab- above, mm-hmm. you know, and I kind of put it into perspective and realized like, oh, this doesn't matter as much as I think it does. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about this more than that other comic is. Mm-hmm. He's got hundreds of problems. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm the last problem. Mm. And just by getting outside of myself and recognizing that, that, th- that I am not my thoughts and observing the thought as a spectator mm. rather than letting it drag me down. So there are th- two things that you're making me think of. The, the first one is um, I am not my thoughts. I, th- I kind of want to talk about that more. Yeah. And the other thing I want to acknowledge and why I asked you to explain that situation that you felt like you were able to use these tools to kind of like zoom out and get yeah. some perspective. It's like because sometimes like let's be honest, that's hard to do. Yeah. Like sometimes, sometimes you, even if you know these tools and you know, um, kind of where you stand in, in these quadrants and how your brain is working versus how you're, you know, physically versus how your memories have been stored. Sometimes it's still hard to pull yourself out and be like, I've been here before. I know objectively that I don't need to get sucked into this downward spiral. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's hard to pull out. So that's why I was, it's kind of interesting to see when can you kind of remind yourself, when can you take that step back and, yeah. and everything. So just to be honest with that, um, so I just wanted to know yeah. that. And then I wanted to talk about the, how you are not your thoughts, because yeah. I think that's kind of hard. I think for it's, people. I think it's a habit. You have to create a cognitive habit. Mm-hmm. And I've had to do that because I let my, um, for so long, I let my emotional concepts get out of hand. Yeah. You know, and when you ruminate on a thought, so like to me, anger is high arousal negative affect. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's not what I think all the time. I'm not like a weirdo, but. Only but a little. Only a little. But so I start thinking to myself, okay, I just. The first thing I need to do is put the brakes on the arousal. <laughs> because if I allow myself to ruminate on this thought like, oh, these comics are bumping me and they're fucking me over and this and that. <laughs> and, oh, these people are going to think I'm a shitty person now. Like, by ruminating on that and firing that neuron over and over and over again, it's going to get me to a place of high arousal. So the first thing that I try to do is put the brakes on my whole arousal system, um, also known as the sympathetic uh, nervous system, which um, is like kind of your fight or flight. But, you know, when you start ruminating, um, your heart rate goes up, your cortisol goes up, your adrenaline goes up, you know, like it's just it's not good for you. That's why anger kills. Um or stress kills, you know, angry people get heart attacks. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's physical. Um, I know, I know a guy that I won't mention. But that's, <laughs> that's funny. It's, you just said it's physical. Your social yeah. reality can you, manifest physically. Yes. Social but, reality can become physical reality. But you have to uh, be aware that it comes from social reality. And my, the biggest, like, 
It's like reason, stepping out of the matrix. Yeah, yeah. But the reason I love that is th- that is because w- you can by knowing that it's social reality, you mm-hmm. can you don't have to feel vic- like a victim. You don't have to feel yeah. like this is this is so physical, this is so concrete. This is, you know, I'm stuck in this thing like yeah. You can reframe it. You can surround yourself by new friends. You can yeah. create space from your parents yeah. that might have, you know, been a bad influence in the way that you obsess with anger or fear yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, you can you can change your social reality by Absolutely. by changing your environment, all these yeah. things, so that your physical reactions, whether it's a heart attack or your, you know, wh- whatever. I I just think that that's really interesting. That's what is profound to me and that's what helps me mm-hmm. kind of come to terms with it and you made me think too sometimes it works vice versa like sometimes eating healthier food like instead of fast food um or moving your body walking for an hour um and listening to this podcast or um you know i've i've been jog i've been trying to jog two miles every day mm-hmm. um totally. stuff like that physical reality then changes a lot of the base chemist physiological uh structure chem- neurochemical foundations of my brain mm-hmm. so then that alters my social reality because now i'm in a better mood i'm less irritable i snap at you last <laughs> i um it better prepares you yeah. right yeah. It doesn't change your social reality, but it, it you're you're changing your your yeah. body's biochemistry so that when you're in yeah. a situation that could, yeah. you know, that is influenced totally. by your social reality, you can handle it better. You can yeah. keep those reactivity levels yeah. more neutral rather than so high and so low. So they influence each other, but they're they they're, dif- they're different categories. They're different experiences. And it's it's really hard to parse out which one is the ultimate. Um, I don't know, personally, more and more, uh, as I've gotten older and reflected on experiences, I think how we feel often determines our thoughts. Mm -hmm. Like, if I'm in a bad mood, I tend to have bad thoughts. If I'm in a great mood, I tend to have optimistic thoughts, but... And we are not our thoughts. But we are not our thoughts. And why not? (laughs) I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) I'm an idiot. (laughs) I just read... Things that smarter people say. I'm not. Well, I'm not very smart. Yeah. Well, maybe we're not our thoughts because our thoughts are always changing. You know, we really. Well, that's that's another thing. And you're not who you were at 16, 18, exactly. 24. And who are you? Something that was really beautiful that my therapist shared with me that it was not like I wasn't aware of this, but it was the way that she said it that kind of like synthesized in my brain is that, you know, we are just living moment to moment that's all we really have and after this sentence that i have the next sentence i say is my new moment and i feel like that's kind of like your thoughts and experiences as they are just like leaves blowing in the wind that you catch and you hold and you let go and i think that that's kind of another way of saying that we are not our thoughts because they just will keep changing just like we are and just like our experiences and and if you and if you kind of embrace that you can let go of some of the resentment that you hold for people or appreciate happiness more you know what i just remembered um like a great uh kind of forgiveness mantra 
that I have used to get through some really hard times and it ties into exactly what you're saying. And, um, you know, there have been times in life, like, for example, one time we were in New York and I, I don't mean to trigger you, but this is a great example. Someone sure. spit on you. Right. That was really. Someone walked by Monica and spit on her and for, for no, no reason for no reason no reason trying to go for my face too it was it was it aggressive was it was not and, an and, accident and, by and any means and, but um i read this book called don't bite the hook and it was about anger um and there was a great passage and it said we can forgive the person who spits on us because they are someone in process and we are someone in process and that connects so much to the idea that you are not your thoughts. You are someone in process. Your thoughts are in process. And I think in society too often we crystallize a person when they do something wrong. And, you know, the, the truth is that person who spit on you, they might not be that person 15 years from now. Mm -hmm. They might not even be that person a year ago mm -hmm. you know what i mean something probably happened to them yeah you know i mean there was no there was no reason that person needed to be so upset and that per i was just yeah. walking by with my dog yeah. i didn't even know this person i was on the way to the grocery store um just on the sidewalk literally a split second passing by this person and something in their mind from whatever trauma and stress and adversity that they had faced had felt just so much anger in that moment and and you know whatever it is that I was presenting uh, you know they probably felt triggered and it really really s sucked for me because yeah. I felt so personally I mean I was assaulted yeah and I felt so personally affected by that that why me you know and it it really wasn't about me as a person it was that 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 individual that felt that angry in that moment had like you said been going through something and I only hope that they've grown from it but what they, I have empathy for is the yeah. person that, that 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 person who they were when they were a child you know because they didn't ask to for whatever life they were given yeah. And they oh yeah, there's a lot of determinism yeah. in how they were treated. Yeah. No, nobody, nobody with a perfect childhood walks by and tries to spit in a stranger's face. Like yeah. that person clearly was mistreated. Yeah, they've probably been spit on. But yeah. you know, recognizing that that terrible version of them that you saw that day yeah that's not the permanent version of them mm -hmm. you know they're a person in process maybe maybe they never evolve but i think that's a great strategy for how we can forgive and let go because mm -hmm. when we hold on a resentment um it just traps cortisol in our muscles it it traps uh i heard a great uh, um, well, quote yeah. uh resentment is like psychological it's like holding on to mold in your psyche yeah you know what i mean that's a really interesting yeah. visual I, I i i really like that example and um because why and why would you want that why would you want to hold that resentment and that mold building up in your brain and and mm -hmm. you know through my emotional like process and 
the social reality that I'm trying to contextualize, I don't want resentment and, 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 uh, anger held inside of me. I love forgiveness. I do not want to keep that in me. That does not feel good, you know? And, um, that's how I've been able to categorize yeah. my social reality well i that's something that i really admire about you that you've always been able to let go of stuff because for a long time i was a huge grudge holder mm-hmm. you know i loved holding grudges <laughs> i know you, i love it it's you great. still sometimes do and it's like oh look at that person they, they looked at me wrong <laughs> fuck that person you were cursing you at know? everyone driving yesterday <laughs> yeah it's kind of funny that fun. we are together though because i am such a person of forgiveness and it's just mm-hmm. i i i love you so much <laughs> just i, don't I forgive why. you every yeah. time <laughs> thank you well you know what <laughs> that's our compatibility um i'm learning from you yeah and i think that's something that people sometimes when you date um I think it's healthy to to date fucking asshole with his car. (laughs) I think it's healthy sometimes, you know, being with somebody that's slightly different because you hopefully can learn some things. And, you know, being in a relationship sometimes, it's like it forces you to hold a mirror up to your own behaviors Mm -hmm. and your thoughts. And when something in the relationship isn't working, it's usually a flaw in side of one person or both you know what and what you do for me earlier we mentioned what my my uh one of my big emotions with fear yeah you are very fearless so it's kind of interesting these things that that you that you you have strengths in and that i have strengths in and that like this idea of balance yeah and that's yeah. what I appreciate about you is that like your fearlessness and your just looseness, both your personality and your asshole <laughs> <laughs> are just fuck they, you. <laughs> they just they they free me. Yeah. I don't know where. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm just I'm addicted to adrenaline. And so I like to do things that other people would categorize as fear. Uh-huh. Um, you know, like I used to do parkour. I used to do MMA. Now I do stand-up comedy. Some people categorize those as fear. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, you know, it's funny you say that. I don't think of myself as fearless, but I love the adrenaline of those things. And I feel I, the fear and do it anyways. I, you know, I think fear is so much about focus. Fear doesn't go away. You just bring it along for the ride. Yeah. I I still get nervous sometimes before sets. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think if you focus on the positive outcome of a situation, you don't feel fear. And I think if you approach it and you you focus on the negative potential outcome, you feel fear. Mm -hmm. You know? And what is fear, really? Could be cortisol. It could be adrenaline. Or it could not. I mean, sometimes... I feel fear and I don't, I, I don't feel, I have my heart rate monitor sometimes on my wrist and I'm, I'm fine. So variation is the norm and I think it's all about how we categorize our emotions. Um, there's one person that I really like. He's a Navy SEAL. His name is David Goggins and I read his book, Can't Hurt Me. And when I first was reading his book, his big mantra is, can't hurt me. 
And when I first read his book, I was like, this guy's a sociopath. Like, he's just repressing painful emotions. <laughs> and there's this big idea from, like, Freudian psychology, the idea of either you either suppress, repress, or maybe depress emotions. I, I, I'm not a psychiatrist. But at first, I was like, he's just burying painful shit but um the more i've learned about the neuroscience and the fact that those emotions like they're not buried in our mind they're constructed moment by moment mm -hmm. so if you want to use a mantra like you know let's say someone insults you people insult me every day on twitter <laughs> like you're probably you're not funny this or that you know like um, and I've been trying to use this mantra, like, you can't hurt me. Mm -hmm. Um, so how is that not suppressing? It's not suppressing because those emotions don't exist in, they, they don't, they don't exist in physical reality. Like, like when someone insults me, um, it's my choice how to categorize it. Like it's the, the, what we're saying is that the fMRIs and the neuroscience is showing that those emotions aren't stored anywhere today. Like someone ins like if I insult you, it's not hiding back here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's you not forcing you to say this doesn't bother me, but with enough practice of recategorizing, yeah. maybe the tenth yes. time it you, doesn't you, hurt so bad because yes. you're like, I've been through this a few times, and that person doesn't have to. Th those kinds of words don't have to. You have to believe with it. Me. Yeah, yeah. You can't lie to your subconscious. Your subconscious will know if you're lying. But one thing I do want to say is like the frontal lobe and your the center of your consciousness is kind of like the door to the house and your subconscious is like the rest of the house. Mm -hmm. So you have a choice to open that door or close it. Mm -hmm. So you have a choice. Or look yeah. through the people observe yeah. and be like, no, nah, I don't, you don't, you're not allowed in, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but that awareness is so I'm like good. a peeping Tom of your subconscious. <laughs> oh, jeez. I like to, uh, Creeper. I, like, I like to peek through holes and watch people's subconscious and see what, what they're doing in there. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think the thing is, is that, and, and the other thing is, I think when you repeat something often enough consciously, um, your subconscious begins to believe it. Yeah. Because there's a part of your brain in the back. It's called the reticular activating system. And that's where you can begin to process a lot of those beliefs that are repeated. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like the biggest takeaways. Have this awareness so yeah. that you can practice, so that you can recategorize your social reality and live a life in more neutrality so that you're not bouncing around from all these crazy emotions yeah. feeling like you're you're a victim to them but that you know you're aware of them and they can be a little bit more regulated and they can and you can live more of the life that feels better for you you know and yeah. if feeling better for you is feeling angry on the t all the time then at least you're aware of it and that's yeah. what you want but but if it doesn't feel good then be aware of it so that after enough instances hey you know i i, I can i can handle mm -hmm. this a little better and I, i'm not a victim to it 
I want to shift topics. Um, so it's interesting, for example, in Russian, they have two words or concepts for anger. In German, they have three words for anger. In English, we mostly have that one big one. We have other variations like fury or irritation or resentment. In Mandarin, there's five words for anger. So it's interesting how having a wider breadth of emotional categorization can lead culturally to different emotions and to different feelings. And that just shows how much it is social reality because depending on where you live, your your society, your social yeah. context changes, mm -hmm. you know? So that's evidence right there too that it's not it's not so physical, not every yeah. human brain has emotions exactly the same in this exact yeah. region and this is how they're produced and this is what it looks like, you yeah. know? It's so much I, variability. That, and and that really gives me a lot of confidence that you're not stuck with the emotions. You're not trapped with the emotions that you're feeling. Yeah. Um, you can recategorize them. And, you know, some and, and that's not to say that some people don't have conditions where they're feeling really sad and they need to shake up their neurochemistry using um, SSRIs or ketamine. It's just saying that we have a little bit more pliability over how we feel than maybe we thought in the past. Exactly. And I think that y it's like you need to feel what you need to feel, yeah. but that you can use that as information for the next time and yeah. that it can feel better. And then maybe something else will happen and yeah. it'll feel bad again. But like, this is all information and if it, you can use it as a tool to feel better yeah and yes give recognition to if there's you, if you have a chemical imbalance and you need some kind of mm -hmm. treatment then that's that's one thing but that's not the only thing yeah. that you can do that makes me think of a mantra that a one therapist gave me um and i'm not sure i mean take it for what it is but they said you need to feel it to heal it mm-hmm and I thought that was really interesting because sometimes you do need to dive into that shit that happened in your past mm -hmm. in order to recategorize it yeah. and reframe it. How are you supposed to recategorize it if you can't find the first category it's in? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. That's funny. Um, the one last thing in terms of other cultures, there's this rural tribe called the Kung. And, you know, they don't have a word for depression which is interesting. Like when they lose a member of their tribe, they describe feeling fatigued or, um, so it, it's, it's just interesting. They don't have a word for depression. Mm. They also have more social support. These smaller tribes, like when someone loses a loved one, the whole tribe comes together, mm. but it's interesting. They have the same physiological sensations that we have. Of course. But they make sense of them in different ways and they act on them in different ways than Americans. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes in America, including myself, I'm just speaking personally, I'm too quick sometimes to categorize something as, oh man, I'm depressed. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling, when really, maybe my um, body budget is just low. Um, actually, that's another big term from this book. Um, it's called, the scientific term is called allostasis, and it's actually about our body's budget. And a lot of times, 
um, the neuroscientist Lisa Feldman Barrett, who um, I've gotten into some f- fun engagements on Twitter with her. Hmm. Um, she says the human brain's purpose is prediction for survival and energy regulation. So our brain's constantly making predictions about, okay, is this behavior a good is this behavior good for the conservation of our caloric expenditure? Like, if I go chase this rabbit, am I gonna lose all my calories and get tired and die? Or am I gonna catch this rabbit and eat, you know? Sorry, vegetarians. (laughs) Um, um, But allostasis and the body budget is about how sometimes when we're feeling negative affect, Really, it's just low body budget. And that's the physical reality um, is that our body budget is low. So it might not be depression. It might be. <laughs> um, but it's interesting to, to contemplate um, your body budget. Reality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's hard to always tell the difference. Yeah. But. Um, you know, it's just like with food, like when you're hungry yeah. and if you have skipped a couple meals, yeah. you'll start to feel depressed because you're totally. missing something in totally. your body budget. Um, same with water. Yeah. And it's a little silly. Yeah. I think how obvious some of those. Like situ- I was joking the other day. I was like, man, uh, food is an antidepressant. Yeah. You were just hungry. You yeah. know, you you also have had some challenges with you know, clinical depression, but sometimes you're just hungry. <laughs> no, it's clinical hunger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Me All too. Right. Well, Something. thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, we love you all, and see you next time.